What is going on, everybody? It is Mike. Welcome back to Network Podcast. Today is Tuesday, October 5th, 2021, and we are talking about the new iPhones, the new iPad mini, and whether or not Google Desktop should make a return. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Holden DePardo. And so I guess it's been a busy couple of weeks, as we just said, right? You know, last time we talked was the wrap up on the event. Now, iOS 15 came out, iPadOS 15, all of the kind of the goodies. So in today's you know stream, we're going to talk about upgrading to the you know, new iOS, iPadOS, watchOS. I don't know if you, I don't think you pre-ordered, if I'm not mistaken, right? You no, I haven't, I haven't pre-ordered right. anything, no. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about experiences and what we've read, because I think we've read some stuff. We at least know some stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And we'll talk about the other tech news and kind of what's coming up Mm -hmm. for the next week or so. Sound good? Absolutely. Awesome. So let's talk about, first of all, our experiences with iOS, iPadOS 15. I had a horrible, horrible experience upgrading. And I don't mean that to say that lightly. Oh, my God. It was so horrible. So horrible. I probably had a worse experience upgrading to the golden or to the release version than I did the entire beta. Interesting. What happened? So... After, you know, they announced the, you know, they, when it was coming out, I think it came out on, on Monday, the 20th, if I'm not mistaken, yep. I removed the profile and I got the incremental build and that with incremental build covered like maybe, you know, some features that were not there or it might've been some kind of use case where, you know, you, whatever it was, it was, it was an incremental build. And after that point, my entire home kit setup was hosed, like hosed really, really bad. Holy crap. I had to rebuild. And you have a, I had to rebuild my home kit too. I do. I had to rebuild my setup twice, not once, but twice. And I was so frustrated with like my HomePod stopped working, my like doorbell stopped working. All of my lights would, would not respond. It was like the house. I'm like, I'm like, maybe I was hacked. I'm like, oh my God, no, I, I go, I couldn't have been. I like, I'm pretty uh, like diligent about like clicking on things. And like, you know, I, I, am, I think consider myself a pretty good citizen. I'm like, no, that couldn't have been. I'm like, well, I don't know what's going on. And I literally spent no, no joke in one night, I spent probably about four and a half hours like reconfiguring lights adding lights and then testing out like, cause like you said, I have a somewhat elaborate setup. And the thing is with HomeKit, you can't do like a, a config save or you can't back it up and export it. So you have to build everything as new. I'm like, this really, really sucks. I had to talk to Hue support for my light cause my bridge was not responsive. I had to talk to Lutron for uh, my Cassetta bridge was not responsive. It's like another light switch. And it was just really, really bad. That was just the beginning though. So I don't know about you, but did you have any trouble upgrading or was everything kind of smooth sailing for you? Absolutely perfect smooth sailing. Uh, No problems at all. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. A horrible experience for me too. You're not alone, Michael. Um, (laughs) We're all in this together. We're, We're all together. Yeah, that's legitimately, that's one of the worst upgrade experiences I've ever heard. That's like... That's rough. Yeah, I don't know what it was, Holden. I don't know if it was like if it was really iOS 15. Of course, I'm I'm kind of like jumping to conclusions saying it was. It just it felt like a little bit like ill time to be like you know coincidence for it not yeah. to be. And like I have like light switches everywhere. I have like these little dots where you push buttons, and I couldn't get my lights to go on or go off. Or when they did go on, they wouldn't go off. So needless to say, I was frustrated. I'm checking settings right now because I'm pretty sure that stuff is, or at least it claims it saved in iCloud. I thought it, it is. is. Yeah. It, and on home, there's a toggle uh, for an iCloud. There's a toggle for home. So uh, it, interesting that the failure was on iClouds and probably. So my bridge was unresponsive. Like I couldn't link my bridge, my Hue bridge to my iCloud account. It kept saying Hue bridge unavailable, kept saying iCloud unavailable. I tried deleting the configuration file from iCloud. I tried turning it off. I tried a whole bunch of stuff and 
it ended up working like 24 or 36 hours later. I'm like, oh, I don't know. May, like maybe it just got in some kind of funky state where it was like, I'm not doing anything right now. I'm taking the day off. Like it's just, it, it, it puts the hands <laughs> up in the air and it walked away and says, all right, listen, I'm not doing anything right now. I don't, yeah, I'm taking the night off. I just upgraded your phone. Okay. Give me a break. <laughs> but yeah, it was a total pain in the butt. And it was, you know, unfortunately it wasn't just my device. It was, you know, my device, my devices, my wife's device, like it. So, it, cause it was the home. And I think mm-hmm. that really underscores the importance of home OS, right. And, and how much of a critical role it plays. Cause you know, I use home kit cameras for, you know, for security and for monitoring. So it's not really something to, you know, screw with, right. Especially if, if yeah. it's obviously, you know, not life and death, but if it's very important to uh, how you uh, how you live. So that was my experience. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I said I had smooth sailing, but there was actually one thing that kind of happened to me that was a little annoying is some of my shortcuts have gotten really wonky and I ended up just turning yeah. off most of them because I have a lot of automation set up. Like I have one inspired by you where I plug in my phone and a little notification comes up telling me what my percentage of battery is. But for some mm-hmm. reason, it like seems to save a previous notification that came up and it'll show me that one instead so i'll plug in my phone and it will be like you're at 78 percent. then i'm looking at it and it's at like it's in the red yep so i'm very confused like why that happens or so with with focuses when, when i was in beta i made these really elaborate series of elaborate like uh shortcuts based on focuses where when my work focus tur- turns on when my kind of waking up focus turns on when any other focus i have turns on it will change to a select wallpaper randomized from a folder i've created for that specifically so like for work i have all these like urban wallpapers with like city landscapes and stuff for mm-hmm. my personal just like you know regular i have all these zelda wallpapers i have and it just stopped being able oh it also changes my watch face i have a different watch face for different focus modes but it stopped doing that completely which is which is frustrating so i need to look into that recreate some of that stuff yeah i don't know i don't know what happened with it but just like one of the as soon as i updated it just stopped doing what i wanted it to do but other than that it's been great other than that yeah i've read about some of the same wonkiness that you're describing with shortcuts that other people have had where like uncategorize their shortcuts where they may be in different folders mm-hmm. or when because there's new privacy provisions in iOS uh, sorry in iOS 15 that they didn't carry over and so you have to reset them up so that's if you haven't got them set up yet I think that's the problem that's probably what it is yeah because it's probably a privacy on the accessing photos is probably what yes. it is interesting yeah yeah total pain in the butt so you know other than that not working <laughs> it, you know <laughs> Yeah. Other than that small sideline for 36 hours. I mean, it's been great. It's been smooth sailing. Um, so <laughs> besides our whole you know, home falling apart, it's been wonderful. Yeah. It's like magic. Yeah. yeah. And we know that Apple watch the unlock didn't work. I think that was for more people than just iOS or sorry, than who had a new iPhone. If you had a, an existing iPhone where you wouldn't be able to unlock with fa- um, with when having a mask. I don't know why I'm doing this kind of weird gesture like I'm, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that that was the other problem as well. Yeah, like, oh, like face palm. <laughs> and that was a pain. And thankfully, Apple just fixed this, what, on Friday of this week or Friday of last week? So it's only been a few days. Mm-hmm. But I think, it, you know, Apple's, you know, as time goes on, there's more and more people using the device and there's more of these, this intricacy and integrated where they don't necessarily have control. Because if you think about unlock, with Apple Watch is a feature that came out like seven months ago. Like, how, how did this break? You know, yeah. if you think about, it's not like it's a it's a brand new feature. It, I don't know. It just seems weird. It seems weird for me. Yeah, if they're not touching that code at all, why should it change? Exactly. Exactly. Any thoughts on, but you know, before we get to the the new iPhones and the uh, iPad mini, which by the way, is a shortcut, dude. I love it. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, anything else that you notice in terms of like how iOS and 15 and iPadOS 15 are working for you, watchOS, is there anything that you would like maybe took away that's different or maybe more notable than it was during the beta? One thing is that, and this isn't really related to iOS 15, it's just more that now that I, they've updated to Safari 15 on Mac OS and I can finally use the new Safari style and mm-hmm. including tab groups, because I, I do a lot of tab groups. I'm very, very much in love with that feature. It's so nice being able to finally have access to those on my Mac. And I'm already kind of seeing how that could change how I use those tabs because now they're available on my Mac as well and not just my mobile devices. So I'm really, really excited about about kind of getting to use that that more often. But I don't really have much to say because I think iOS 15 is, like you've been saying all, all summer, it's a really, really good update. I think focus modes is one of the best things they've added in a long time. It's just kind of a feature that I didn't know I wanted, but it's totally changed the way I use my phone. Having yeah. widgets on iPad is really great. And now that iOS 15 is out, so to kind of barrier answer your question, now that iOS 15 is out on iPad, or sorry, iPad OS 15, some of these companies I or some of these apps I use are taking advantage now of the extra large widget. So Fantastical mm-hmm. has a beautiful extra large widget. Things has a really good extra large widget where it shows you not just your today view, but it shows you today, tomorrow, and the two days after as well for all the, you know, to-dos you have coming up. So it actually is kind of nice because if I'm like, oh, I can get that thing that's supposed to be done on Wednesday done right now, I can just see that in my purview immediately. So there's there's lots to love. It's good stuff. I agree with you. I think there's seeing how the different apps are implementing, you know, their widgets or the different features in iOS and iPadOS 15 is part of the delight of, you know, once the upgrade becomes public. I like it. And I think other than Fantastical, I'm trying to think what, what my favorite widget is. Let me just think about that here for a second. Fantastical is some of the best widgets. That's the best calendar app. It's so worth it. I think it's like 40 bucks a year, but it's like if you bought a really nice, you know, calendar every year, it would probably be in that range. I'm talking about like a really nice one. And the combination of how well Fantastical works on the Mac by being in the menu bar, yep. how it works on iPhone and iPad by just being rock solid calendar apps with great widgets, and then having the Apple Watch app on for Fantastical, it's so worth it. It's awesome. It, it knocks the the socks off of the calendar app. Yeah, the other great this app called Lumi L U M Y. So Lumi is a, it's an app that will tell you when golden hour begins or ends, so either in the morning or at night, and it just oh, gives you a really great. Yeah, um, it's just a really great kind of visual indication at glance, and it kind of auto-populates, so it, not auto-populates, it will show you at the right times, and it's just, it's mm-hmm. really well designed. Yeah. Calvin Lee uh, commented here, says, iPad OS 15 is a bit uh, laggy on my iPad. Speaking of widget, the mail widget lagged up in SmartStack. I'm curious, Calvin, which iPad do you have? I'm running an iPad Air 3, it's a few years old, and that's been running pretty well for me. I haven't had any lag issues. <laughs> I also love your Memoji now that it's up. That's great. Oh, that is funny. Thank you for wearing a mask. I feel much safer. <laughs> so uh, to Calvin's point, I was running iPad OS 15 on my 2017 iPad Pro, and it wasn't slow. You know, that's a five-year-old device, 2017, or mm-hmm. just about five years old. It's a little, I mean, it's there's some things that's definitely slow, but I, I don't know if that's iPad OS 15. Maybe it's three indexing of all those items, they yeah. seem to have worked that out. At least it feels like for the most part where the locked up state that, you know, the your iPhone or iPad used to get into after you first upgraded, like where it's re-indexing everything, mm-hmm. they've kind of minimized that and it doesn't seem to be as bad. I'm interested to hear what Calvin says. 
in terms of what device he's using. Yeah, he's used to be like for a few days after upgrading, your phone yeah. was a little slow and the battery was worse. Do you, re- uh, you, you probably don't remember this, but do you remember that Google used to make like a desktop application and it was like, I forgot what it was called, but it used to basically index your entire computer. Oh God, why would I ever want Google to do that? <laughs> oh my God, Th- this is like a long time ago. I don't remember this at all. I'm glad I don't. That's this is the this is the stuff of nightmares. Oh, what was this called? Google Desktop Application. It was called Google Thief. Just stealing everything on your device and and selling it for your data or selling it to advertisers. Yeah. So basically, it was. So, so I don't know if if you know this as well, but Google used to make enterprise search applications where it was an appliance that would sit in your network. And companies would, you know, integrate this into it. And then Google would act as the search layer above your, you know, your, all your documents and everything for people to search for. Well, they discontinued that because people are like, ah, why would I want this? <laughs> why do I want Google crawling my network? <laughs> and this was kind of like the same thing. Google, oh, it was called Google Desktop. Interesting. Yeah. It's still not the worst thing I've seen a big tech company do in terms of invasiveness, but that's still pretty invasive. Yeah, it's well. Everyone's like, "Oh, this is like you know, not um, not early days, but it was like when people might have been more liberal with kind of sharing information with Google, and there yeah. wasn't like that backlash." Do you remember uh, Facebook Beacon? I think it was called Facebook Beacon, at least. Yeah, I do. Oh man, what a horrible idea that was! Just like we'll share parts of your browsing history without your permission on yeah. Facebook, but like, oh man, that was such a terrible idea. Yeah. So talking about, I guess, let's move on from iOS and iPad OS 15. Let's talk about you know, the new iPhone. Uh, you know, obviously there's there's four new phones. I think the battery, so just to kind of cut to the chase, the battery life on the iPhone, on all the iPhones are ridiculous. That is probably the most undersold kind of benefit where it's, I, I'm getting like, so I've, I have the 13 Pro Max and this is in Sierra Blue. It's a beautiful color, but it looks Ooh. kind of a, like a different color. It's not really blue. It's like kind of slate. It just depends on how you look at it. Like it changes. See how like mm-hmm. it's more. Anyways, there's like a gray, a little bit of a gray in there as well. It looks like. Yeah, it's like we can't make up our mind. Let me send you. Let me, you know, have this change different colors. <laughs> so, uh, Calvin, Calvin, we'll get to you in just one second. Oh, that's interesting. This is running a 12.9 inch iPad from 2018. Yeah, that that shouldn't be lagging. That's. That's all stuff. You're running an early release version that is buggy. So are you still on beta then, Calvin? Have you not gone to the full release yet? Or maybe he's on at 15.1. Oh, yeah, maybe that. I'll say I was on, even on my Air 3, I was on beta since the very beginning, and it was still pretty stable for me. Yeah. I also refresh my device very frequently, though. Like, I'll restore completely and then just restart again. So that might be part of the reason why. I find sometimes if you don't do that and it kind of backs up the information, it can kind of get kind of bogged down. So we, just to clarify, Holden, are you saying that you often reset as new and then are you restoring from backup or are you just kind of building as, you know, new can pave, you are doing everything fresh? New can pave. Because so much stuff is stored in iCloud now that you can do a new can pave and not really have to do that much to get things back. Yeah, I think that that's a that's not an unreasonable approach. I did that on my iPhone as well. And I actually, that one of the things that during the, um, so new this year, they had this where you have, if you have an old phone and you need a new phone and you want to do transfer, they have a device device transfer. Well, it didn't work mm-hmm. for me at least. And I've read uh, some people who have trouble as well. Basically, it was going to transfer the, the information from the device. I transferred from a cellular iPad to this iPad and it kept telling me that I can't download these apps when I was, unless I was on cellular network. I'm like, this That's isn't weird. a cellular iPad. Yeah, it was really weird. Wait, unless you were on cellular, that doesn't make any sense. Usually it's like if you're not on Wi-Fi. 
That's strange. Let's go. I guess let's go back to the, the 13 and the 13 Pro to Calvin's question. So, you know, I, I upgraded from the 12 Pro Max to the 13 Pro Max. And the benefits in battery life from what I've tested are just ridiculous. Where I used to go to bed, you know, at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, I used to have like 40% of battery. I even bought one of those extended battery packs or the battery packs that they sell, the MagSafe ones. And now it's like 60%, 70% with like no joke. I was having like six hours of screen on time and it was 50, you know, 50, 60% remaining. I'm like, holy cow. And my usage patterns in the past 12 or 18 months haven't changed that much. You know, I'm still within the confines of this room. I've, I live here. And, but the, I was like, holy cow, like, I can't believe how much the battery life increases over that short period of time. So to, to Calvin's question, like if you were upgrading, if battery life is a big concern, obviously you, the battery is, I think, 18 or 20% bigger in the Pro Max versus last year's. And it's about 12 or I think percent bigger on the Pro. So if you're looking to optimize for battery life, Pro Max is the way to go because just the increases alone in that is going to you know benefit you again. That's if you're optimizing for battery life. There was some battery comparison that tested like every iPhone currently sold from the SE all the way up to the 13 Pro Max, and the 13 okay. Pro Max got something like something insane, like close to 10 hours of uh, screen on time. It's ridiculous, Holden. I'm I'm not even kidding you. It's it's like wow. <laughs> no one should use their phone for 10 hours a day. No, I mean, I'm sure there are times where you have to for whatever reason, but you shouldn't, you should never have to. So that, that should get everyone through a day, no problem. Oh my God. Yeah. To kind of round it out. Like I still think the 13 pro max is a, a big phone. It's, it's almost too big for my hands where if I have to kind of do something, I have to shimmy it up and down, but I love the battery life so much. I love, love, love the battery life. That's the, my addiction to it. So you might not want to have the bigger phone, but the battery life is much better. And it's it's kind of a toss-up because, you know, the camera performance on the 13 Pro and the 13 Pro Max are identical. Like, I have not come across a scenario where you're like, wow, I, I'd rather have this phone in because the specs are identical. Mm -hmm. I really can't think of a difference why someone, I mean, unless you have a personal preference on the size, that would be the only recommendation that I would have for you. Yeah, the, I think the battery life is kind of the the sleeper hit of the iPhone 13 because it's not something, they, they briefly talked about it on stage, but every review I've yeah. seen has, has really held that up as one of the big reasons why this year's iPhone is you know, a better upgrade than most upgrades. Yeah. So that, and there's also a lot of fun in the new camera modes, not just, you know, cinematic video, which I think is a little bit, it's fun to take, but it, it's really about the application of it. Like you can overuse cinematic mode where you're taking, you know, mm -hmm. too many videos in that, but the macro mode is a lot of fun. And a lot of people are saying that as well, but the cameras are just, they don't disappoint. So if you, you know, whether you're optimizing for battery life, whether you're optimizing for, you know, having the best phone or sorry, the best camera available always with you. I mean, the iPhone 13 is, is I think a, an easy choice. I don't know, you know, Holden, I, I know you still have an iPhone 10R. That phone came out in 2018, 2019? 18, yeah. 18, I think so. 18, yeah. So you think about like Apple's designing their phones now, right? For people who are coming to the, the, the upgrade cycle that you are probably going to be in, right? Like you're mm -hmm. three years old or four years old. Yeah. Like what are the fe what are the features that people like you who have that phone are going to want in order to upgrade. You know, I think battery life is definitely one of them. Screen technology is definitely one of them. Camera may or may not be depending on kind of who you are. But, you know, there's, I think next year's iPhone will be very interesting because that's the, you know, they're trying to get people to upgrade, every, you know, every three or four years. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. It will be. Yeah. I got a chance to use one. Oh, actually, on cinematic mode, you just talked about that. I've had a few friends send me videos of cinematic mode. Your footage looks good with the toys that Miles set up and, and yeah. all that. 
But I've had some friends send me videos where there's a person in there, and I feel like the kind of isolating the person in, from the background isn't as smooth as it is in a normal portrait mode picture. I don't think it looks quite as clean. Yeah, I think it it depends on the aperture that you have the 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 video set to, and so you can. One of the key features of cinematic video is that you can adjust the aperture post, you know, capture, uh, which is you know you can do it inside the Photos app, or you can do it in one of the uh, many other apps. So maybe they took this video and they didn't adjust that. So I, mm-hmm. if it had a lower aperture, it would have been much more kind of a narrow kind of outline on them, where if they would have opened it up a little bit more, it might not have been as harsh. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have, if you still have the file, you might be able to edit it, like open in photos and edit it. Oh, interesting. I actually should try that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think the features, the editing should be available on, I think, any device. It's the capture part that's yeah. trained. Yeah. The, the only thing that's hardware related is the capturing. Yeah. Yeah. Calvin asked a good question here. He said, I saw people talking about the macro lens being switched on automatically when you were too close to a subject. Did that yeah. affect your usage on iPhone 13 Pro? I do know that, I think it was Marquez Brownlee was saying that Apple has said that they're going to adjust that and they're going to allow you to toggle that so it doesn't have that slight switch. Yeah, it's a, it's a little weird. You know, the first couple times, you're on a, it catches you off guard because you're like, trying to zoom into something and you're like, oh, what is this little, um, it's not like motion blur. It's, it's like a, the object actually kind of changes its focal length. But then after that, you're, you're kind of used to it. And like you said, Marquez was, uh, he, sorry, he spoke to Apple and Apple's putting, I guess, a toggle or a button inside of the viewfinder where you'll be able to turn it on or turn it off or sorry, you'll be able to selectively go into macro mode. I also, and I haven't used it, so I'm maybe I'm wrong here, but I can't imagine it would be an issue because you're only going to see that before you've taken the picture. Yeah, you're right. You do, but it's a little bit, it's jarring, right? Because you're not, if I can even show this to you, like here, here's me. Like now I go like this. See that? Yeah, there's like a quick little like frame where it changes. Exactly. So it's a little jarring. If you're not expecting it, maybe you're like, oh, mm-hmm. and then you you have to readjust your your capture. So I think that might be the the part where uh, Calvin might be referring to and what kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. That's what we're referring to. It is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. <laughs> the macro modes is a really practical thing to to have for for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, I've been so as someone who's getting older, I've been able to take photos of, you know, objects and like like read serial numbers off of devices. I'm like, "Oh wow, I can't read that. Let me try this." And even now, there's that built-in app called Magnifier. Mm-hmm. Where, so it's built in in iOS 15 where you can take a picture of something and then you can magnify it. Obviously, the name magnifier where you could zoom in and zoom out and kind of get uh, get real detailed into it. Uh, that's a great app as well, especially if you have that uh, that macro mode. And with the serial numbers, you can also copy and paste that from a picture itself now with live text. So it's like even better. I know. So th- this <laughs> this dawned on me. This dawned on me the day I was setting up my iPhone. You can actually use live text to capture passwords and paste them. Oh yeah. Yes. I didn't even think about that. That's a really good idea. Yes. I was like, oh my God, this actually works. Now you have to hold the phone incredibly still. And if depending mm-hmm. on how the text is orientated on the page or on, on the object, you might catch some text above it. You might catch some text below it, which is not ideal. So you have to hold it very, very still for it to you know work accurately. Otherwise it might misinterpret the characters, but it's cool that it works that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like sharing a password with someone without actually sharing a password. Well, I guess you're still sharing. It's just a, yeah. So 
We talked about the battery. We talked about the camera, cinematic mode. So ProRes, one of the features that they talked about on stage is now available in 15.1, not directly in the camera app. And so I don't know, I, there's, I have a little bit of mixed feelings for, about the camera app, but if you have iOS 15.1 installed on your device and you have the Filmic Pro app, you can actually capture ProRes video. Now, some of the, some of the people that were capturing video in ProRes noticed that there's, it's like ridiculously high frame rates. So like a, a 20 second video was like a gig worth of data. And that's at the, like the most, not pristine, but it's at the highest codec. So it's transferring about 400 megabytes of data per second. Now it makes sense why they're selling a one terabyte iPhone. But the problem is <laughs> that there's no way to get the device, no way to get that footage off your device in a quick manner because the iPhone still has USB 2.0. It's, <laughs> it's so, it's, <laughs> It's so dumb. Just put I just put USB C in there. Just put USB C in there. It's time. Well, I mean, even if they have USB C, like as a connector type, they still are limited by the interface speed that the device connects. Uh, you know, on the inside of that interface. Yeah. So, like the what connects to the fast storage control. Well, I'm talking about storage. the whole package. Put Thunderbolt four four in there. All yeah. that stuff. Yeah. I know. It's time. It just seems so strange that they would kind of think through. Not kind of, but think through. We're going to sell this phone, and it's be able to capture professional quality video. Right? It's going to have this very fancy video capture system. We're going to have very high storage, storage configurations. But if you want to get it off the device, you know, using a, a normal means, it's going to take you about four hours. Like, it's like, why mm -hmm. would they do that? Like, you can't upload it to iCloud or I mean, you could, but it would take you a very long time. You can't add it to photos. The only other thing where I could think of that they would do is like do a like an airdrop using like ultra wideband because ultra wideband, I think probably has like a like a 25 megabit per second throughput. That's mm -hmm. the only other thing I could think of because otherwise, I, I mean, no one's going to use USB, you know, USB 2.0. That's you're asking for a world of pain. That's like using edge nowadays. Seriously. Yeah. It's horrible. Why Apple? Why? <laughs> why? Okay. Hold on one second here. So this is, the, this is the Calvin Lee show. Hold on, Calvin. I got to see here. Calvin. He's asking the good follow. questions. Yeah, no, Calvin, we, I, I got you, buddy. Also, is the 120 hertz a deal breaker? Does it really make a difference on a small display? I enjoyed it on my iPad. So Calvin, I think it really depends on the type of content that you consume. So it's absolutely, sorry, I would say absolutely. Depending on the, you know, the, your visual acuity maybe is the best way of kind of understanding that. But you may or may not notice it on the display because it's so small. It really depends on how, like how you interact with the device and how you perceive it. I would say the very first five or 10 minutes of me interacting with my device, I thought it was noticeable and I almost got like a little... Not queasy, but like my eyes were like, felt like it was playing tricks on me. But after five minutes, I was, you know, I absolutely sold on it. It's definitely perceivable if you, you know, once you see it, you, you can't go back. Like you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to start using this lower quality, but this, this display that has a lower refresh rate. I think it, you know, Holden, you, you make joke of this or make light of this all the time where it almost like kind of ruins you from using another device where you're like, <laughs> I can't ever go back to a device that has a 60 hertz refresh rate or a device that might, you know, that's not retina mm -hmm. or it is really nice to look at, and especially if you interact with your device very often. But yeah. I think it does take time for the developers to optimize their apps for that. It's just a matter of time. So is it a deal? Is it a deal breaker? I think the answer is no. If you really, if you are someone who you know relies heavily on your device, I think it's simply something that you would take a look at and see how you might not even notice it. You might look at it and be like, "Oh, it looks normal." I think it just really depends on how you perceive that content and how you perceive your device. Yeah, I think the per I think it is a question about perception for sure. So I actually have a unique, I think, uh, experience here to talk about. So a few years ago, uh, my mom had a very mild stroke. 
and this is related, I promise. I'm going over a tangent, but this is all related. And um, she, she gets very, very mild stroke, like very low symptoms in, you know, in comparison to some other people. But one of her symptoms is that she gets fatigued very easily from lights and things like that. So like blue screens is mm. really tough on her. And specifically, movement that doesn't seem natural. So, like, if she's out in, you know, the woods and, like, the trees are shaking and stuff, it doesn't bother her because it's natural. But, like, on a screen, if she were to watch that same thing on a screen, it might seem unnatural to her and it would fatigue her. So, like, scrolling, for example, isn't natural. So, she has a hard time kind of scrolling on a phone sometimes. She can power Mm -hmm. through it because she asks you for work and that kind of stuff. So, I told her, I'm like, look, you don't usually get the higher-end phones. She has an iPhone 8 right now. And I'm like, but you really should get the 120 hertz display. So, let's go to the store and compare them side by side and see what you think. So I showed her the 120 hertz phone and she's like, oh yeah, like it's smooth. It's, you know, whatever. And she didn't really seem to like think much of it. But then I'm like, Mm -hmm. all right, let's try the regular 13 now. And she had to like put it away and like step away for a second because she immediately in that like one minute got really used to the 120 hertz that when she saw the 60 hertz, it really bothered her. So I thought that was really interesting. So there is a difference, but I don't think you'll notice it until you see the comparison. And when you see the comparison, It, it really is quite clear, and I think the, the best way – I think where I would see it the most personally – see the most in my own personal experience with devices is when I scroll, I can read while I'm scrolling as opposed to yeah. scroll a little bit, read, scroll a little bit, read. And, I mean, yeah. is, is that a reason to spend a few hundred extra dollars on a phone? For me, it is because I'm going to have the phone for a while, but I don't think that if you buy a phone regularly, you need to get that. It will probably come down at some point is my assumption. Yeah, I think that's a very good like, dissection of of the technology and why people might want it. Um, and to your point, right? You know, it's new to the iPhone 13 Pro Pro Max this year, but maybe you know, if history, if we use history as our guide, maybe those features will come down to the iPhone 13 next year. Yeah. So, or sorry, the iPhone 14. Do you have anything else you want to add to the 13 or 13 Pro? I'm actually just curious how you see this upgrade stack compared to previous year's upgrades because they've gotten increasingly iterative. But it feels like even though on face value, this seems to be a very iterative update from everything I've seen in reviews, it seems like it's it's a little bit more than that in some practical ways. Do you feel that too? Or, or do you kind of feel like this is just another iterative upgrade? That's that's a It's a good upgrade, but if you have a 12, you're fine. I'm kind of curious where you land on that. So, you know, you look at the phone and you think about that it has more battery life and more battery life by itself may or may not be enough for you to upgrade. But when you take the upgrade, you know, the upgrades in the iPhone 13 and then you compound them with the iPhone 12 and then maybe the device that before that you don't have as well, that's when the the sum of the upgrade is actually kind of then you, you start getting a better assessment of whether it's worth it or not for you. No one like like a very, very small infinitesimal amount of people upgrade year over year. Right. But like when you look at yourself, like you have an iPhone 10R. You know, the iPhone 10R to the iPhone, you know, 10S, 10S Max, because those devices were still even differentiated from what you have. Mm-hmm. to the iPhone 11, to the iPhone 12, and now the iPhone 13, there's like four life cycles or four devices worth of upgrades mm-hmm. in this device for you. And that's, you know, where we talked about in the beginning, how Apple kind of plans what features they're going to put in this phone. Well, they're thinking about, you know, who are the device, you know, what's the average lifespan of people that have the device and how do you make that so compelling enough for the upgrade? So if you have an iPhone 12, I would tell you don't, don't upgrade. And I think I said that even my, in my initial kind of impressions. But if you have an iPhone 11, even kind of before that, that's when it starts becoming more substantial and more kind of uh, it, the total amount of features up, you know, compound and make the features, uh, make the iPhone 12, sorry, the iPhone 13 more compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I having a 10R kind of to, you know, carry on what you're saying there is I definitely feel that pull. I definitely feel like, ooh, I really should upgrade 
this year. I'm not going to, but I definitely feel that pull much more than I felt last year with the 12. And 12 already was a little bit of a pull for me. Yeah. I mean, I know for you personally that you don't take a lot of photos or videos. So maybe the most compelling parts of this year's phone and last year's phone aren't so substantial when you when you look mm-hmm. at them. But that's why I think that next year's phone, because people that have the iPhone 10, 10s, 10R are coming to that point where they're like, okay, maybe it's time for me to upgrade. I think that's because that was, you know, that was really the the first year or the second year for the new new body of the iPhones, right? Because it went from the mm-hmm. iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10 to the iPhone 10, 10s, and 10R. Plus, next year is rumored to have no notch. We'll see if that actually happens or not. That rumor has already happened many times, but um, many times. I many if times. That, I would hold out for that, and if not, it's too. I've waited too long. I'm just going to get something next year. Yeah, Beckin says he still has the five S. That is something. So that is something, but that's like a classic design to me, and it's like so. The five S is the first device with Touch ID. Right, mm-hmm. so it's a second body, uh, second year of the iPhone five with Touch ID, and that's the first sixty four bit. Uh, it's like the A five, right? The A A seven, A seven. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So that that's kind of a classic. What color do you have back in? That'd be a, it's like if you had. Remember they made it in that black color where it it, it like didn't look black for very long after that because it chipped. <laughs> Do you remember yeah. that? Or, or am, I, am I thinking of the wrong device? I think that was the 5, but I do remember that, yeah. Because I think the 5S is when they went for, like, the, the grayish black on the back of it instead of the pure black. And it didn't look as good, but... Um, it's the two-tone, right? It's like the... Yeah, the, the two-tone, yeah. Metal, that did look cool, though. Yeah, the 5S was a great phone. They, I remember um, they said at the time, like, oh, that was their most forward-thinking phone ever. And it's like, oh, I roll, whatever. But it actually kind of was. I mean, Touch ID, 64-bit built into it. First year for iOS 7. Like, that really was actually probably one of the most forward-thinking iPhones. Yeah. That was a great device. I remember feeling like I needed to get it. And I couldn't get it, so I got a 5C temporarily. And uh, to, like, hold me off because my phone broke. And, yeah, then I got a 5S, and it was like, whew, sigh of relief. Finally got it. <laughs> Thankfully, you didn't have to deal with the unapologetically plastic, right? Yeah. Johnny <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Let's move on. We'll wait for Beckon to, to come back to us. But so I think the iPhone 13 Pro, you know, coming from the iPhone 12, not really worth it. But if you're coming from an older iPhone, something older than the iPhone 11, it's definitely worth it, especially depending on, again, what you are looking for in a phone, what you're trying to optimize for, if it's battery life and camera, <laughs> this is it. Is macro mode only on the Pro, or is that on the 13 as well? So it's only on the Pro and Pro Max. Because it has the ultra-wide. It needs the ultra-wide, doesn't it? Hold on. So let me think about that. So the iPhone 13 and 13 mini have the wide and the ultra-wide. They don't have the telephoto. That's what they're missing. Okay. I don't know if macro mode is on the 13. That's a great question. So I have I'm going to look it up. Yeah. It has the ultra-wide on the 13. But I haven't seen them. Cinematic mode is there. Um, I'm assuming macro mode will come up in a second. I don't see it. Deep fusion, ultra wide camera, memories, photographic styles. Yeah. yeah, I'm not seeing anything. Yeah, I think it's only on the 13 Pro and Pro Max, and that's probably how they keep the cost down because of the the cost. They they are using last year's. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. I would say maybe they're using last year's sensor in the iPhone 13 and 13 Pro, but that's actually not the case. I think These are physically bigger, aren't they? Yeah, they're they're different. Maybe it's, oh, yeah. I could tell you, I would just have to go open the boxes. I still haven't even opened the box. 
I laugh whenever this is. I'm just going through their 13 Pro page now to see if it calls out macro mode, and they have the surgical grade stainless steel. <laughs> always so goes awesome. so. Yeah. If you're if you're uh, Tom Hanks castaway on an island and you need surgery, you better make sure you have the surgical grade iPhone 13 so you can have surgical grade stainless steel. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you're done. Yep, macro photography comes to iPhone. Yeah, it's only on the Pro. It's only on the Pro. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to talk through was the, the Mini. I can't tell you how much I love this thing. And this is unexpected, I would say, in, in the least. It's iPhone 13 Pro Extreme. Yeah, no. this It actually kind of takes the place of a lot of my usage on my iPhone, where I would much rather pick this up than pick up my iPhone. So let's talk about what my use cases are. So first of all, when I bought, I bought this twice. And so when I bought it originally, I bought the 64 gig Wi-Fi only version. Because I'm like, oh, I'm going to review it. I don't think I'm going to like it. And then I opened it up and I started playing with it. I'm like, oh my God, I really like it. So I exchanged it for the, the 256 cellular version. Because my thought is that I want to carry it with me everywhere I go. Because it's so easy to use. And not easy, but it's so inviting. Mm-hmm. And so I have, I have a lot of iPads. And regrettably... <laughs> The great part about this is that when you pick it up, the problem is that there's this, like you pick up an iPad Pro, like you you almost feel kind of guilty not using an iPad Pro to the extent that it should be used, right? Because it's like all of this power, all of this display, all this kind of capabilities and input and output. And some people that might be overwhelming. Where you pick this up, you're like, this is just a simple device. I can use it just for anything. I could still do all those things that, you know, the, the larger iPad Pros can do for the most part. But you don't have this sense of like expectations when you pick this up. And it's just so welcoming to use. And it's it was very much unexpected. Where I'm like walking around my house just like, uh, you know, I, I have this orange sleeve. That's how I normally keep it. And I'm just kind of engaging Siri saying, you know, text my wife or turn the lights on or do this thing. Where I would normally use my phone or my watch to do so. So it's completely changed my usage of how I use my iPhone and my Apple Watch. And even my iPad Pro. Where... I'm only using those things now for more for tasks that kind of where in my mind, it makes more sense. So like from a job to be done perspective, this is absolutely taking away tasks from my iPhone and from the Apple watch where I didn't expect it to not at all. I would, again, I'm, I'm really, really surprised. Mm-hmm. I mean, the iPad mini, I, I don't have too much to say about it. It seems like it's a really great device. I feel like it's the opposite for me. I get what you're saying with the iPad Pro. I 100% understand that. Like, I would use the iPad Pro to, like, read the news. And, like, I don't need an M1 chip to do that. Yeah. But I do feel like if I had an iPad Mini, I would I would feel what you're kind of feeling with the Pro, which is I'm not using this to the extent that it could be because it's an iPad. It can do a lot. But I feel like I would only use it for small tasks. Whereas if I had an iPad Pro, I could do those small tasks on it and then also do typing and also do other things on it as well. I feel like I'd want to handwrite more on a larger iPad Pro more than a mini. Have you tried doing handwritten notes on the iPad mini? Does it feel cramped at all? It doesn't feel... So I guess it depends on how you take your notes. So if you're taking it in portrait mode, it's it's, it's a little cramped, especially mm-hmm. depending on how you know, what your writing style is. If you write it in landscape mode, it's not cramped, but it doesn't feel natural because it's like not the same size as a notebook, right? Because there's, it's not as tall. And again, it, it doesn't really, so I, I would take notes on this for like quick notes and not quick note like the application, but like quick notes. But I wouldn't probably journal on this because I think that there's something to be said about journaling where this doesn't 
you know, it just doesn't, for me personally, it doesn't seem like it's the right process for me to journal on this. But I, I have used it for, you know, writing and uh, taking handwritten notes and, and writing out messages and writing out emails. And I, I like it. I think, you know, to your point, focus modes are not about, I mean, so they're, they're about empowering you to do what you want to do and not being distracted. But focus modes are really, are really about purpose-built hardware. So like, if you think about like, there's your personal work, sleep, fitness, gaming, those are kind of all hardware dependent where it would work fine on just one device, but it also works very well on individual devices that are specifically designed for that. So like you think about the fitness context, you could yes have a workout app on your iPhone that you only use. And so when you activate fitness mode, you don't get distracted, but it's really, it really excels or is that much better when you have an Apple watch. Same thing with Mm -hmm. the home personal mode and the work mode. If you have like a, a Mac or an iPad, those things work that much better when they are in that individual kind of uh, context or focus. Like there's a reading mode now where maybe a reading mode would make sense on an iPhone, but it really makes sense on an, on an iPad mini. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I don't think that, I, I don't think I'm going to return it. I actually like it so much where I just want to keep on using it. And where I picked up my iPad pro yesterday, I'm like, oh, wow, this is really big. I'm like, oh, it's really bright. <laughs> like the display. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. This thing is, yeah. Like I, I think I tweeted it yesterday. I'm like, holy cow. After picking up the iPad uh, or after using the iPad mini all day, I picked up the iPad Pro and there's no question or without a doubt, the iPad Pro display is great. It's also four inches bigger and it's just, it's a lot compared to the mini. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It is. But more I definitely like it. I think um, yeah, more than four inches for sure. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. Like it's nice. You could be like this. Like I'm just going to take a picture real quick. Doop. Like a little peekaboo. I mean, I really like it. I'm surprised. So my, my, I showed it to my wife the first day and she's like, I don't know. It just seems kind of small for doing things. And Holden, I'm going to tell you, I use it just like my iPhone. Just like my iPhone. I can see that being a great device for iMessage. That seems like a really good keyboard to type on for texting. It is. I, I don't want to say too much here, but I think that this would be your next iPhone. And I don't mean you personally, but this would be that like... You, if you could fold this like in some kind of way that this would be perfect for an iPhone. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Foldable phones. Apparently it's going to happen. Yeah. It's, apparently it's going to happen. It's a thing. It is a thing. The cameras are good. The quality of the, you know, the rear cameras and the face, uh, the front facing cameras are good. I was gonna say excellent, but they're not like the iPhone 13 pro, you know, strangely the whole thing about capturing ProRes, that's not even available on the new iPad or even the M1 iPad. I thought that was really strange to bring that back. So you, you could only capture ProRes on the A15 processor on the iPhone. Interesting. Do you think it's things with the camera system as well? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know much about that from a hardware. I was. Just, I'm just asking the question. I have no idea. I mean, I have no idea. I have no idea. Like you, you should. I mean, what really drives the is the image sensor, right? The image sensor on the camera. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess we'll have to test more. We'll find out. Yeah. Apple will announce out. a new iPad and be like, now with this new camera system and they'll, they'll do it. And we'll be like, oh, okay. It was the camera system or something. We'll find out. Cause they'll bring it to the iPad eventually. And they'll exactly. be sure to tell you why it, it came now that we have the a 15 X on there or the M two chip or whatever they're going to do. It'll be M two probably. Yeah, for sure. Okay. What do you want to talk about next? You want to talk about news or you want to do rumors? Yeah. Whatever you want to do. It's all good. It's all fun stuff. It's all fun and games. How about the folks out there? What do you guys want us to talk about? 
News or rumors first. While we're waiting for that, let's talk about Apple Watch pre-orders. So Apple Watch pre-orders went are starting on Friday. So they start on the 8th. They're available on the 15th. And strangely, there's still no pricing available on the Apple Watch pre-order. So we don't know what, like, there's no, there's a, like the buy page that normally comes up when uh, they talk mm-hmm. about the products. Like you can't even see what devices are going to cost you, which I thought was kind of strange. But that is coming. They out must on be the same price. price. It'd be really crummy of them to be like, "Get ready to order the new Apple Watches." By the way, they're a hundred dollars extra. Like it'd be really strange to to see that. Well, so to that point, Apple is working with carriers here in the U.S. to incentivize customers who a- who activate a seller model with a hundred dollar credit or a hundred dollar uh, gift card or like a Visa gift card. And they've done the same thing for the iPad mini for the iPad pro this year. And so it just, it does seem kind of strange to me that they haven't talked about pricing at all. They just talked about the models and the materials. So I do think that is a little strange and I don't think I'm going to upgrade. Like it just doesn't seem like it's that compelling of an upgrade. That's maybe, <laughs> that's how I would say it. Like mm-hmm. just the bigger watch faces doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I like the new watch faces, but I have a Series 5. I'm fine. I did get one of the new bands. I got the Abyss Blue braided loop. Oh, that's nice. It's um, awesome. Um, and so that kind of makes me feel like I've had this like refreshed watch now. So I feel I yeah. feel good. Oh, by the way, braided loop, once you get the right size that fits you, it, it, it hands down the most comfortable watch band I've I've had, like, period. Really? It's so nice. I love it. You know, I've, I think I've ordered two of them, and I, I just got sick of it. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I never get them fit right. I'm like, I'm just setting it back. <laughs> it was just a pain in the butt because for some reason the braided loop and the sports loop I wear a different size oh interesting so, yeah I, I maybe it's the material like the I think that they're all the same thickness I don't know it, I just wear a different size or maybe I gained weight in between <laughs> I don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it's I, I mean, obviously there's a difference in the material I think the braided loop is actually stronger as well I saw this video of a guy mm. doing a durability test between the solo loop and the braided loop and he tried yeah. to pick up two 50 pound dumbbells with both of them and he was able to do it with both of them but the braided loop it's like he just picked it up whereas the solo loop it stretched a lot and as he's pulling it, like it seemed like it was going to snap, and then it started to lift up the dumbbells. So there's definitely a different material, obviously different material, a different elasticity. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, no, you're right. That, that could be contributing to that as well. I don't know. Like I, I do agree with you that when you get an Apple Watch or you get a new band, it actually kind of makes it feel much more refreshed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the path I'm going to go down. I'm not going to get something new. They do make a very, they make this electric orange in I think that in that band as well. They do. Yeah, that's new. This looks good. I recommend it. I seriously go for it. Try it out because you have an Apple store pretty close to you, don't you? Yeah, I can walk. It's yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah, I I, w- I would go for it. I would try it out. You, you buy one, try it on. If it doesn't work, just go and return it. I um I bought a yellow one. Uh, so I this is a second one technically. I bought a yellow one and it just clashed too much with the black. I thought it would look like bold or something like that. And it looked horrible. Mm-hmm. It looked like a, I had a bumblebee on my wrist with the black and uh, watch and the yellow band. It was awful. So I decided to get the white blue one instead and I just walked in. I'm like, hey, not what I wanted. They swapped it out. No problem for me. They didn't even ask for a receipt. They just scanned it. Oh, really? Yeah. Which I don't think they were supposed to do, to be fair. They'll probably ask you for a receipt, but probably. Yeah. Other than Apple Watch, so uh, let's see Apple Watch. So we talked about today how it's the 10th anniversary of Steve Jobs passing. And I think, you know, Apple, if you go to apple.com, there's a really nice remembrance where they have like a short film about it. And also I think Johnny, Johnny Ive, he had a nice piece in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, which you can't read unless you have an Apple News subscription. You could then read it because you get access to the Wall Street Journal. So I don't know if you knew that. But even if you subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, you can't? 
You only an Apple News oh, yeah, Plus? Sorry. No, no. Oh, okay, if you okay. have a Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Most people I know don't have a subscription to the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> <laughs> I did, but it's insanely expensive. And Apple News Plus is a way better deal. Way better deal, yeah. So that was nice. It's actually kind of weird that it's been a decade. Like, I remember it was the, I don't know if it was the the day of the announcement or the day that the phones were released in 2011. But I, I remember I, I had just moved at that point And it was, I was, I think I was watching Leo Laporte. Have you ever watched MacBreak Weekly? No, no. Oh man, they have a great show. So I was watching Leo Laporte and they, they just came on live. It was, he said that Steve Jobs, it was just really weird. Like it was kind of surreal to be like sitting there and, and hear that happen real time. Pretty strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I won't forget how, when I, how I found out either, but I, I unfortunately, actually, I can't share that story because there's like a confidentiality thing involved in that. But, but yeah, I'll never forget how I have found out it was, um, yeah, it was very, very shocking. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It just, it just seemed weird. Or not, yeah. it just seemed, it's, it's always strange when, when someone famous dies who you might have like a, not like a, like a personal connection to, like for some reason, you know, many people, not just you or I, or, you know, many people on this planet felt like a personal connection because he enabled people to kind of do like their best work and he created these platforms for people to use and do their best work. And so there just seems like there was, there's always been this outpouring of affection towards him and for like the proxy created. So, yeah, I think there, I was watching, um, the original iPhone introduction, which Mm -hmm. is iconic. It's such an amazing presentation that he does. It's like, it is the most Steve jobs moment ever. It's like the grand showmanship, the, the, the jabs of the competition by calling smartphone software Blackberry. He's like, it's, he's like, it's, it's just like, it's, it's baby software. Yeah. <laughs> like little moments like that, that I just, I miss that as much as I do think Tim Cook is technically a better CEO than, yeah. than Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs had this magic to him that just, I don't think we'll ever see again. I also think that he's very misunderstood from his critics. I think some of his critics are like, oh, he didn't write any code. He didn't make these products. And it's like, yeah, but that's not that's not what he does. Like, he is a tastemaker, if anything. He he guides a ship. Like, that's what he does. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could make the same argument. Sorry, they could make the same argument for Tim Cook, right? Like, Tim Cook's not literally making, you know, he's not, you know, pouring molds for Apple watches or he's not writing code <laughs> to run to run on your Apple TV, yeah. but he's literally the person who guides the ship. That's a very good way of kind of characterizing what a leader does. And so maybe it's it's not to the the exact kind of picture of what that person's thinking about it, but there's without it, there's there's no doubt that uh, that what he did was meaningful and impactful for millions of billions of people, right? Because yeah. you think about there's there's a lot of iPhones on the street. Oh, yeah. And even for the CEOs who did write the code, like a Bill Gates or a Mark Zuckerberg, they don't do that anymore. Exactly. Like, that's not what they do anymore. Yep. Like, <laughs> like Bill and Mark late night. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Get all the time. Okay. So let's go on from that. This article here. So YubiKey adds biometric authentication. I thought this was super interesting. So do you know what a YubiKey is? Isn't that like, I I don't know much about it. It's a security key for like certain unlocking. It's like a hardware encryption key, essentially. It's a a two-factor key. So like this one. Oh, okay. Better way of putting it. Yeah. Yep. So if you have an iPhone or an iPad and you ask for two-factor authentication on like Google or many other services, all you have to do is, you know, tap this to your phone and it uses NFC to to, uh, unlock it or to authenticate. Oh, wow. Now YubiKey... 
Yeah, it's a, it's actually really cool. And if you're like extra tin uh, tinfoil hat, like I am, not really. I I am, but I'm not. <laughs> um, now <laughs> better safe you can than actually have. Yeah, better safe than sorry. Yeah, you don't think the lizard people are going after your phone or anything? You're not that tinfoil hat about it. <laughs> okay, okay, you got me. I think that no. Um, so what you could do <laughs> on these on these new YubiKeys is that there is a uh, there is a three there's like a secure enclave that basically stores a template for fingerprint. And if you put this in, it'll you'll, you're allowed to authenticate using a fingerprint, where today this is like a tap. It doesn't actually really do anything. It just makes sure that you're you're the person using it, not doing it accidentally. So it's actually really cool. I thought that was interesting. It's a, it's a cool way to add biometric authentication to a device that has no ability to add mm-hmm. biometric authentication, like an, an iMac that might be sitting on your desk or even older Macs. I just thought that was interesting. It's, eight, it's 80 bucks, which is not cheap, but I guess if you're security minded really 80 bucks is not that big of a deal mm-hmm. also like if you get your keys stolen or something like that like you don't have to worry about someone yeah. getting access to everything on your computer if they if your computer is in the car or something like that exactly like what they normally advise you to do is if you buy one you buy two right so you have one that you keep with you like maybe on your keys like mm-hmm. i basically had this this security fob and i'm not gonna t- i'm not gonna tell you where i put it but um <laughs> i have the security <laughs> fob that that's if I ever lose it, I have another one that's that's backed up somewhere. If, uh, you know, it's just it's a backup, just in case. Yeah. Just whisper in the mic where where it is. No one will hear. Just whisper it. <laughs> <laughs> it's on my keychain. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I thought that was really cool. Eighty bucks doesn't seem like again bad deal if you're security minded. It's something I would think about getting. But uh, mm-hmm. YubiKey security key. So uh, a couple months ago, there was this rumor about the iPad Air. Uh, sorry, not the iPad Air 4 that's out today, about the upcoming iPad Air, that it was going to get OLED. And I don't know who the person who, I don't know if it was Ming-Chi Kuo or who, I don't know who it was, you know, DigiTimes or whatever, that talked about this rumor in the first place. But the rumor was that the next iPad was going to get OLED. And if you're not familiar, OLED is a display technology. And that display technology, if you're kind of like ranking good, better, best display technologies, OLED is the... Right now, I think one, the premier technology to use in a, in a mobile device or in a computer, because you know there, and then below that's going to be mini LED, which is in the iPad, and then there's just LED or um, yeah LED. So the rumor was that the iPad Air was going to get an OLED display, and everyone's like, oh yeah, that's awesome! I want the iPad Air to get OLED. But then you kind of start thinking about it, and you put it in like these pieces together. Well, the iPad Pro has a lesser quality, you know, lesser mm-hmm. quality quote display technology, how are you going to give a low cost or a lower cost device this OLED panel? Well, it turns out that that's not the case. So uh, now we're hearing that the iPad Air will not get OLED, but more importantly, that the next iPad 11 inch will get mini LED. Now that's, I think that's really interesting where, you know, last year they differentiated the iPad Air 12.9 inch and the iPad Air 11 inch with mini LED. And it seems like that there is this tick, tick tock cycle. I had to think about it. Tick, tick tock, where, you know, the, the uh, 12.9 inch and the 11 inch have the same features. Then they have the same features again. And then they're, one of them's differentiated. That's what the tick tock mm-hmm. means. Now, ne- if that's the case, that means the next one that they w- will come up, that the, both devices would both have the same set of features. Now, well, let me stop there. Liz, do you have any questions or anything that you want to add there? No, no. I, there's also some software kind of future iOS versions for why they would want to put in the the new refresh rate options on the iPad yeah. Pro. So like um, we, something we had talked about with the iPhone 
13, when we kind of heard about that getting promotion is, oh, maybe we'll see some information on the screen when it's in sleep mode. Kind of like how like, the Pixel phones will do that. Like, it'll show you the time and the weather or something like that. Maybe you could put mm-hmm. something like uh, some basic information from like a similar to a complication on an Apple Watch, like on your home screen. And they didn't do that, even though I think it's feasible that they could do that with a screen like this. Maybe it's something they want to announce in software later on for iOS 16. And they'll want mm-hmm. to incorporate iPad in that at some point. So they need to bring this over to iPhone because I'm beyond battery life upgrades, which the iPad is already so good on battery life. I don't know. I think it's interesting because there's I didn't realize how many different options there were for Hertz on an iPhone 13 Pro versus yeah. the iPad Pro. There's only five on a iPad Pro ranging from 24 Hertz to 120 Hertz. And on the iPhone, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. And it ranges from 10 hertz to 120 hertz. So maybe they'll kind of do that because they want some more parity for some software features like that display tech I was just talking about. But who mm-hmm. knows? Yeah. So you bring up a really good point regarding the refresh rates in 10 hertz increments on the iPhone. So that adaptive, the adaptive refresh rate is what gives you, or what I guess what helps enable kind of the battery life increases. Because if you yeah. think about it, the previous iPhone was a 60 hertz display. And basically you would get content and it would it could display that content in 60 hertz. And when you have a variable or adaptive refresh rate, there's increases there because it's not always having to show you that. So presumably, if you were to do that in the iPad Pro, you'd get some type of battery life savings or increase from that. But I think what's what's interesting is what you mentioned in the beginning is where you have this complication style where you can still display information on the screen and have low battery consumption. And I think to your point, that's probably why we didn't see that this year on the this iPhone. Yeah. One thing, I have two thoughts. That they're actually very contradictory to each other. One is, what I, even if they don't do complications, I would just like to see things like my Apple Watch battery percentage on there. So like when you're charging your Apple Watch and your phone lock screen, it'll tell you the Apple Watch percentage. I think yeah. only if it's sleep mode or not sleep mode, but I only charge my watch at the end of the day. So I only see it in sleep mode. So that'd be nice to see there. But all right, here's where I'm going to contradict myself because this might actually – this could claim it's not actually going to happen. The Apple Watch goes down to 1 hertz, and that's how it can do an always-on display. So mm-hmm. it would be 10 times the energy to get that on an iPhone with a 10 hertz display. Mm-hmm. So maybe they won't do it. I don't know. We'll see. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Just, just dawned on me. Just thought I'd throw it out there. So the perfect way for so – right now, 120 hertz displays are all the rage, even though they've been here for a very long time. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe they bring 120 hertz display technology to lower cost iPads and iPhones, but then they increase the refresh rate on the pro devices. So instead of having 120 hertz, they have 144 or 240, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's how they, cre- they keep the tension between the devices because sooner or later, you're going to want to increase the battery life and the performance of the display on all the devices that you have in your lineup. Just the same way that they brought touch ID to lower cost devices and they still keep, sorry, touch ID, face ID. And they still keep Touch ID on like one or two devices because th- those are slowly, slowly trickling in. So that'd be interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Let's talk here. I guess the, the last thing that we have on our list is where the hell are the new MacBooks already? So <laughs> I'm just asking the audience. So the you know the when we talked about the event last time, I know I kind of persuaded you into changing your perspective around whether Macs would make the event. And we know, obviously, looking back, they did not happen. Mm-hmm. 
there are, if you think about what could be announced this month, I think there's still quite a lot. We haven't seen anything around the new MacBooks with the M2, M1X or M2, M2X. And I think it's the latter, like how you, you just agreed. We haven't seen anything with the new HomeKit accessories that they talked about. So the HomeKit accessories, there's the whole introduction to Matter, which is the consortium that they're a part of. And also the HomeKit accessories that work with Siri. If you remember that, they now are putting Siri on third-party accessories. Now, I'm not saying that's certainly enough to have an event over. Just a HomeKit event. Only HomeKit. Home, oh, yeah. <laughs> Only HomeKit all the time. I don't know. I still think that there is possibility for an event this mm-hmm. month. And I think they want to talk about Max in person. They don't want to do a, excuse me, they don't want to do a press event or a press, um, press release. Especially if these are redesigned MacBook Pros. Yeah. Oh my God. That's what I thought of. Sorry. I just got really excited there for a second. <laughs> Not all good. Remember we talked about how the, how the Mac was going to have an HDMI port on it. And everyone's yeah. like, so I never realized this. It's not until I was doing some research, but the HDMI port that's on the Mac mini, I'm, I'm pointing at my computer here because you can see it, is not actually bound or is not actually connected to the, pro, uh, sorry, it's not actually connected to the GPU. It's connected directly to the processor. That's why this is the only device that can output to two displays. So I'm wondering in this in this upcoming device, is that what they're doing to get around the, the limitation for the GPU if it doesn't have uh, a discrete GPU, if it's integrated? Hmm. Because this is the only device that they have like that. And I was wondering if it was like that on the Intel Macs, and I never actually found the answer. But that would be interesting if they brought this same type of design with, I keep pointing at this, I'm very sorry. <laughs> if they brought that type of design from the Mac Mini M1 to the new upcoming MacBook Pros. Because again, no other device has that. It's only on this. Here's something else that I thought was really interesting. And it was a light bulb moment for me. The new iPad, the iPad, sorry, the iPad Pro and the new Macs, uh, sorry, the new MacBook Pro, the MacBook Air, the Mac Mini don't actually have Thunderbolt 4. Oh, I thought they uh, did. Nope. They have Thunder, they have Thunderbolt slash USB 4, which is distinctly different. This Thunderbolt 4 spec is actually very, it's either you're, you're in compliance or you're not. In order to have to claim that you have Thunderbolt 4, you have to be able to output to two displays. It's a requirement. And if you don't, you can call your spec Thunderbolt slash USB 4. Because all of the docks that are out now, all of the, the Thunderbolt docks are all Thunderbolt slash USB 4. They're not Thunderbolt 4. So there is a there is a difference. That's just like some double speak, like the uh, air chilled chicken or something like that. Like they can't it's not frozen. It's air chilled. It's like that weird, like, sl- like slithery like language. Well. So I thought it was really weird. I'm like, I'm like, I swear I thought they said that. And I went back and I watched the videos. I'm like, no, they didn't. They just said it has Thunderbolt. And if you look at their product page, it says Thunderbolt. It doesn't, and it, they're very careful to talk about how many displays that you can connect. And obviously, you, you know that you can only connect one display to every device except for the Mac Mini. Well, I'm wondering to myself, I'm like, well, I wonder how they get around that in the new device or in the upcoming device. The, the HDMI port. Because you can't have a MacBook Pro only going out to one display. I don't, I mean, you... You, I mean, you, you could, could, but it would, it would be a backwards yeah. move. It, that would be awful. It'd be horrible. And the Mac, the Mac Pro in particular can't do that. No. The Mac Pro has to connect to, it has to go up to like six displays or something ridiculous like that. I think that's what the current version does. Which is, that's why it makes me think that it's not going to be called the M1. It's going to be called the M2 because it's going to have a different GPU architecture, which can handle more. It's, it's, 
I can't see them going down the path because then it's going to be a year old naming convention. They're like, oh, yeah. So what's it going to be? The M1X2 <laughs> or like, like it just seems really weird and very on Apple. Yeah. Get hyped for this last year trip with an like an ability for more displays. <laughs> like That's yes. it. That's the only yeah, change. It, it just seems really weird. I don't know. I'd love to run a poll to what it's going to be called. If it's the M1X or M2. I know you just talked about it a moment ago. So you thought M2 as well. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Supposedly what the rumors say is that they're building a MacBook Pro with 16 and 32 cores. Uh, sorry, 16 and 32 GPU cores. If that is the case, that would make a lot of sense for M1, sorry, M2 and M2X, not M1X and M1X V2 or something like that. It just It just seems really kind of kludgy and not very eloquent on stage. Yeah. If they do have an event, Holden, I think that it will, I think that it is, there will be an event. I think that they're going to definitely talk about new Macs. I think that the Mac mini in my perspective, I would love to see a new Mac mini because I am constrained by it. It's a mm-hmm. pain at this point with my workflow. But other than that, I would love to see something come in the terms of like, there's going to be like last year they announced the, um, the AirPod max, like su- surprisingly at the, at the fall event. So maybe we'll get another surprise this year. I can only hope. We didn't hear about the AirPods three, we did which not, right. was, was rumored for the last event. So maybe we'll see. We'll see that. Yeah, but I think maybe. you're also right about Mac Mini with M2. I mean, what do they really have to do? Just put an M2 chip in there. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's going to be this huge undertaking, and they'll probably want to keep that device on par. Obviously, not going to do the MacBook Airs because there's a rumored like redesign with the colors and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I can see them doing Mac Mini and MacBook Pro. Do you think they'll show off the rumored and what I really want, 30-inch iMac? I think that the 30-inch iMac, unless it's unless I misunderstand the the person who buys that, I don't think it makes sense here. Cuz I think the like these devices are very sorry, these the devices that we're talking about, the MacBook Pro 14 16-inch and the uh the new Mac mini are aimed towards a different customer. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I would say that it's probably, it's not unrealistic to think that there could be a, a, a display. I would like to see them do a display that looks like the iMac. I really, really would like to see that. Even if it's just one color, it doesn't have to come in multiple colors. If it's a silver version, I'm fine with that. I don't want, I have a ugly 4k Philips monitor on my desk and I don't want an ugly Philips 4k monitor on my desk. I want a nice, beautiful Apple yeah. built display on my desk. That's what I want. Hopefully we get it. I mean, yeah, I, I think so. One thing I think that, and I've, I think I've talked about this before in the past is if they, and this is, I am talking so out of my element here. This might not even be technically possible, but bear with me. Apple, let me say back here, promotion, building promotion into a Mac, whether that is a standalone display or a MacBook Pro, I think that would be a huge feature to add, especially if they handle it similarly to how they handle power management for Windows in macOS currently. So like if you're not looking at a window or a window is not in the foreground, then less resources will go to that window because why would they go to that window? What if they did that with the variable refresh rate where the variable refresh rate is actually can be fragmented across the screen? So if you're scrolling, the whole display doesn't refresh at 120 hertz. Only that mm-hmm. window does. I think that'd be really, really interesting to to see. And that's kind of one thing that like I, there's been no rumors about this. I'm just making this up. 
but it's something that I think would be really interesting. And I can see them doing it, but I don't know about the technical feasibility with, you know, LED, mini LED and OLED, if that's possible. But if you can turn off individual pixels, I don't see why it would be impossible. Yeah. So it, it could be the reason why they do, I wouldn't call it zoning, but on the iPad Pro, you know how you can do a side-by-side? Yeah. Side-by-side windows. I think that those windows are refresh at different rates. Oh, do they? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Because you could be watching a movie on one, right? And mm-hmm. have something static on the other. And there's there'd be no reason. I, I can't see why there'd be a reason to update both resources at the same time. And that's probably why they have why they have predetermined window sizes so mm-hmm. that they always know what what uh, that they're going to refresh what window A or window B that are always the same, um, not aspect ratio, but resolution. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there's, there's yeah. really only then three or possibly even four sizes because you have a slide over window. I mean, that, that's a really good idea. And it could be part of the reason why they talked about having or the rumor is that there is a, a, a display with an A13 coming in it. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. They need something to process that. So that way it's not happening on your computer itself yeah the the entire part of uh you know modularizing all of the components in sorry all of the pieces into separate components is really like what makes it interesting because you could then put you know an a13 or whatever the processor is in almost anything like you could have one inside your uh your computer one inside your monitor you could have an a13 in your keyboard (laughs) for why uh, who knows but you could then (laughs) don't worry have to worry about the resource strain on your computer and then you know process things much more efficiently. And it's also something that Apple technically has already been doing. I mean, if you have a MacBook with a, or MacBook Pro with a touch bar, there are two processors yeah. built into it. There is one that's basically like, they, they, it was described as like a little Apple Watch processor, essentially, to power the touch bar. Mm-hmm. And then there's just a normal processor for the rest of the computer. Yes, exactly. So, the, the, I mean, they're like, even on your phone or your watch, there's multiple co-processors and processors. Yeah. The M, so the M chips, they, yeah. Yeah. The, they call uh, the that M anymore. I think it's different now. But yeah, the, it was it was announced as like the M chip, and it was like just for motion activity. Actually, that was also the iPhone 5s. Talk about forward thinking. Oh wow! Hey, there you go. Right back to yeah. Right back to who we were talking about earlier. I, they don't even discuss that on stage anymore. No, no, they don't. They're like, okay, it's it's old hat now. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Anything else that you want to add today? Just that I'm excited to see those MacBook Pros. I'm very excited. I feel like there's a lot of buildup to it, and Last technically the last refresh was five years ago in 2016. So 2016, 2017. But either way, like four or five years is usually the time frame where we get an up we get like a refresh of the MacBook Pros. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited to finally see these things. I have high hopes that they're gonna be pretty solid. And that five that five year mark seems to be pretty consistent across devices, across their lineup. Yeah. Like if you think whether it's the MacBook, whether it's you know the iPhone, the iPad, it seems to be pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested to see what that is because if you think about it, the last time they updated the MacBook Pro, the the sorry the 16 inch is 2019, so it's been it's almost two years. I think it was May 2019, if I'm not mistaken. That's it's time. when they had to up when they had to release updates like every four months because of the uh, problem that they were having with Intel and cooling. Oh yeah, that's right. Do you remember that? I do remember that. That, well, horrible. that probably won't be a problem for the next one. No. I mean, that's even a good question. Are they going to release computers with Intel chips in them at all? Probably not. Yeah. Did you, um, this is a lot of topic. Did you see the new Intel ad where they like bring a bunch of like Apple fans into a, no. uh, into a room and it's like a, it's supposed to be like a focus test thing. And they're like, they're trying to present as if they are Apple. And it's like, wouldn't it be amazing no. if you had a laptop that could fold over on itself and become a tablet? And they, they're describing all these things. And people are like, is that coming into the MacBook Pro? And they're like, no, 
they all exist now and it's like on PC and and everyone's like, whoa, I can buy this right now. And I don't know. I thought that was such a terrible ad. <laughs> no, I, I didn't see that. I saw the article. I didn't see, I didn't see the ad. It just seems that like Intel's really grasping at straws. Yeah, they yeah, absolutely. When it comes to talking about talking about the benefits of their processors in comparison, like like I think they're at the point right now with the article I read where they're just getting ready to move to um, just getting ready to move away from uh, say uh, from x86 based processors to AMD and I, I don't know like the, the performance is they're just not there and based on what I've seen and the heat and the power consumption yeah there the fact that once Apple switched to the M chips the Intel started to go instantly super hardcore into criticizing Apple. It's like when Samsung would make those really cringy, like, yeah. you know, ads was like, it's like the, the line to the um, iPhone launch and all the people are like, Oh, I'm so excited. This new feature. And then like a Samsung galaxy, like walks by and they're like, Oh, like, Whoa, like just yeah. those really terrible. Like don't mention your competitors that directly in an advertisement. Just talk about your own product. Like it's just, I don't know. I really can't stand that in advertising. How about when they had the, the Samsung ads with the guy with the notch on his hairline? Do you remember that? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my god. The difference I can't believe you don't No, yeah, pull that up, yeah. <laughs> the difference like between what Intel did and like Apple's Mac versus PC is that was all about telling you what the Mac did that the PC didn't as opposed to like the Intel one doesn't really tell you anything it does. It's just like you can fold it okay, why do I want that? Like, what does that make better about this computer? Like, it doesn't really answer any questions. It's just like, look at this flashy thing. Still not worse than Samsung Galaxy uh, Watch's first. No, that that was the worst. Yes, I I watched that horrible. (laughs) Dude, it's so funny because the guy has got this horrible, horrible hairline where it looks like his his hairline is a notch down in the front. It's so funny. While you're watching that, Holden, where can everyone find you at? I am at Twitter, at Holden DePardo, where you probably don't want to follow me because I'm very obnoxious on Twitter. At least I feel like I'm very obnoxious on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, so I'm there, at Holden DePardo. That's where you can find me. And also here as well. You can see me here every every other week. All right, everybody. That wraps it up for Holden and I. Now, don't forget, you can subscribe to Network Podcast in your podcast player of choice, or you can always choose to watch us live on YouTube. I'm Mike. This is Network Podcast. Thanks very much and have a great night.